I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. I'm sitting here drinking birch beer. It's red and it's not clear. There are so many grams of sugar. 41 grams and 12 fluid ounces. I really hope they got picked up. I'll do too. All right now. All right now. Welcome to the Bearded Dicks Musical Fun Time. I'm the Beard. And I'm Tempting Tarnation Dick Dang Dung Fetty. That's true. That's true. All right. So who are we starting off with this week, Dick Fetty? It's you, partner. It's me. It's you. So surprise, surprise. Since I don't really have uh, time to do much else nowadays, besides occasionally play video games. Wow. I've heard this from you before. Tell me more, Mr. G4, Adam <laughs> Sessler. Ow, that one hurt. Well, we've been over this. You want to fuck me because I'm Morgan Webb. I understand. I know, but Adam Sessler's kind of gross looking. No, nah, but I mean, he's got like that personality. He's got that energy. That's true. I'm reviewing another video game. All right. Surprise, surprise. All right. And it is the Bioshock Collection. Wait, partner, that's a doozy. Now, I'm doing a specific game from the collection. All right. Bioshock Infinite. I'm not personally the biggest fan of the first and second one. Wow. I. Some would say that's blasphemy in circles of video game players. I'm pretty sure you agree. I do. I don't. I mean, the first Bioshock's all right, but there's so many issues as far as it being a shooter for me that just really. I love the pop hacking minigame. I think that's great. I just couldn't get enough of Pop Dream. I love that shit. But when I shoot my gun and I don't know where my bullets are going to go and my aiming reticles in the same spot, that's a par- that's a problem for me. Are you going to do this the whole? Yep. Or are you just going to drop it when you get to your section? I ain't dropping nothing. Bobby Goldwater's here to stay, partner. All right, cool. So the reason I picked the collection is because you do get more bang for your buck. And this right. is... My Best Buy. All right. So you can get the collection for $19.99 brand new or $17.99 pre-owned, which is still fucking amazing. I mean, yes, they're older games, but they're all remastered. It comes with all of the DLC for it, including the Burial at Sea, I think is the DLC for Infinite. Infinite. Yeah. So... And you can look on Steam. I mean, if you if you don't play Peasant Systems, you could do well find it on steam for a right price yeah i guess you're right i know i'm right but i absolutely love bioshock and it's probably me personally my favorite shooter okay just because of the way they build the world and i played a little bit of it today because i was testing out my surround sound and the bioshock games are good for that because there's a lot of atmosphere in them and you can turn and There'll be, like, music in one location that, you know, will go around the whole room or drippy drip drip water. So I loaded up the first one and just that first scene where you're sitting in the boat and the twins are having their conversation completely ignoring you pretty much. 
and knowing how the game ends and everything is just mm, so good. Mind you, this the mechanics for this game are nothing new. They are ripped right from System Shock and the first two Bioshocks. But well, I would I would I would say they are a deep refinement of the I mean, if you've ever played System Shock 2, which you have not, correct? Correct. All right. So it's like Everything is hard. Nothing is easy. It's like 17 buttons to open your inventory. Not really, but that's how it feels. So, while in many ways everything is the same, it is definitely a hyper-refined system in comparison to 1998's System Shock. I was speaking more on strictly combat where you have a gun, and then you also have some kind of superpower. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, but System Shock's a little different. Yeah. But that's what, you know, the Bioshock series is based on, is you altering your DNA to get these... It's like magic and guns. Superpowers. Mm -hmm. But the thing that really sticks out to me is just the atmosphere of the game, how they mix all this music into the game by making it more old-timey. If you don't know the story of the game, you play Booker DeWitt, you are not a silent protagonist, which is the main issue I have with the first one, even though I love the Zelda series and he's a... Silent protagonist, but a lot of modern games and shooter games where you have a silent protagonist, I'm not huge on. That's why I 100% prefer Far Cry 3 over every other Far Cry, because the character building in that was just so good. Yeah. But anyway, you play Booker DeWitt, you have some kind of debt, and you're told to go to this place called Columbia to collect this girl and bring her back, and your debt will be erased. Bring us the girl to it. We'll wipe away the debt. So, I'm just spoilers for anyone who wants to go to this game blind because I definitely think you should. But I'm going to start spoiling it right here. This game's a 10 out of 10 for me right off the bat. Definitely go out and buy it. It's only 20 bucks. The fuck are you doing with that 20 bucks? Spending it on cro- crocane? I don't think so. <laughs> That's chicken cocaine, if anyone doesn't know. We also call it chicken stra- scratch on the streets. So, you're on this boat, and there's these two people that are talking. You don't know who they are. And they're kind of talking in circles, and it doesn't make much sense until you get to the end of the game. And 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 at that point, you already forgot what happened in the first part, so... Pretty much. Yeah. So, you go up to this lighthouse, very reminiscent of the first one, but instead of going down, you go up the lighthouse. And there's these three bells there, and you ring them in a little order, because you have... A little piece of paper. It's like, oh yeah, I got this piece of paper. It's something about these bells. You ring them, and it's just like, and the sky starts lighting up red, and then the lighthouse, the part where the light is, where you're standing, opens up, and you go inside, and this chair raises from the ground, and you sit down in it, you get locked in, and all of a sudden you're fucking rocketing into the sky. And when the clouds break, you see this beautiful golden white floating city you're like oh this is pretty cool and you get in there and immediately it's like real culty and weird because they're talking about father comstock the prophet and the seed of the prophet and worshiping the founding fathers and our god and everything but 
you're not really noticing anything other than that. You're like, oh, this is just kind of weird, but, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, it's not like when you start Bioshock and you get down there and then you just see splashers chasing people down, gutting <laughs> them like fish. So you're and like... Big Daddy just being like... Whoa. Yeah. And you're like, all right, things are bad. Which fucking take forever to kill. Anyway, that's not really the point. We're talking about Infinite and how much I love this game. I really... God, I love this game. So you walk out, you get baptized forcibly to be able to get into the city... So you can tell they're already a very religious place. And you're like, something seems off, but I'm not really sure what it is. There's these three statues of the Founding Fathers. You walk out, you get to explore the place. They give you a little flavor of, you know, the floating city. And everyone seems really polite and nice and everything. And you meet the two people again, these twins that you find out later. And they tell you to pick a number and they give you a ticket and you go to this raffle which is like being advertised around the whole city as you're walking through it and this cute blonde girl's like oh it looks like it's your lucky day it looks like you won the raffle and you're like sick what did I win and all of a sudden a black gentleman and a white woman rise out of the stage and the guy's essentially like all right you get the first throw. Then you realize that you are going to be stoning a black man and a white woman because they had sex. Because this whole place is crazy fucking racist. And I am a huge fan of anything that's historical fiction. Where, like, history took, like, a wrong turn. Like, Wolfenstein and stuff like that. Man I in say, the High Castle. Yeah, I, I could cite books and stuff, but I'm not going to. Man in the High Castle is a good one. But that's what I said. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Dick Fetty. But the game meshes so well being able to use these superpowers and, you know, your gun. And you find out that Columbia was a city that seceded from the Union after the Civil War because they thought white is right. I guess it's kind of fitting that you're doing the Southern accent. I yeah, just realized you know. that. The boss battles are pretty good. There's this really cool mechanic where they have this rail system where you can, like, jump on and you roll around it really fast and you can shoot people. And then at a certain point, it becomes the only escort mission I've ever truly liked in a game. Well, maybe outside of The Last of Us, because Ellie can't really die in that, but she doesn't help you as much as Elizabeth does in this. Elizabeth is super useful in this game. You find out that she can tear open these portals to, like, what seems to be other parts of the world but then you realize there are also other times and you try to say we're not going to spoil this ending ending but you just go through the city and you see how this culture has become this horribly racist thing and it's the world building is just so good in the game mixed with the combat being very good and very fast paced not as fast paced as something like let's say the newer Doom series, but it's it's pretty well refined. Pretty, I've never had yeah. an issue with it. As a person who plays a lot of first-person shooters, I waited for years to play this game, although you had recommended it to me and other people had, because of my distaste for the combat in Bioshock, and I thought, well, I don't really, I don't really buy that they fixed it, and they did. And it, I mean, it really is a precursor to Doom 2016 style of combat where. It's got modern refinement, like, but still that high action, high octane kind of thing. And there are sections which are slow because 
the game, like, you basically have to hit certain sort of checkpoints, like, either ones that are clear or not, and, you know, and it sort of, like, allows more enemies to come in and whatever, whatever, but they keep the pace up, which I like, and they, they have combat mechanics that feel sad, you shoot your gun, and you feel satisfied with where the bullets went, how it sounds, how it feels, and and for my personal taste, the superpower you get that is most useful is you get these crows you summon, yeah. and you fling them at people, and they're like, oh no, there's crows attacking me, and you run up on them with a shotgun, and you shoot them right in the head, and they just die, and then you just keep crow and shotgunning people till the cows come home. And you can also mix the powers too, so... You can throw out crows and then fucking set them all fire. Yeah. So then they're flaming crows. Yeah, which is right. even worse. Yeah. So it's all like sort of combo magic stuff. The the thing that I like about it is if you play it on the hardest difficulty, it's relatively hard. I mean, it still suffers from the same issue that all of the games suffer from. System Shock had it too to a point, but it's they have a save system that instead of just reloading. You go to these like medical booths and are just rejuvenated essentially, but you lose some things. And I don't know, like even though it's not, I, I, it's basically the same function as reloading your game. Not an infinite. It's not an infinite. How mm. do they do it? You just go back to your last checkpoint. Oh, do you? All yeah. right. And and there is which I tried because I, I what, got the, the Iron Man mode yeah 1999 mode yeah where if you die too many times so you have to pay every time you die in the game in general I believe yeah so because that's what happens you die you go through like the dream, dream sequence and you walk out through your office door and you're back essentially where you were but a little bit before right so but that's kind of my thing like I know that they try to implement it into the gameplay but and all of them are like that you paid money and in System Shock 2, money was scarce. It was like a big deal. You really did not want to die. And save scumming kind of sucks the fun out of games. But I just find it's like, for somehow, some way, just makes it feel less hard. Like, there are parts in Doom 2016 where it's just like, real hard, and you just got to beat it or you don't, you know? And I, I feel like this game never got me like that way, so. Yeah, until I played, I, I'm pretty good at the game, and I, I'm not the best gamer in the world. But I played it on 1999 mode, and I don't think I got to the first boss before I was like, this isn't fun anymore. I don't want to do this. Because what happens is, is if you die too many times in 1999 mode, they don't bring you to your most recent checkpoint. They bring you back an extra checkpoint to really fucking punish you. So all the stuff that you already went through and beat and then got to a new checkpoint, you have to do again. Yeah. And I was like, this isn't fun anymore. But the core game itself is done really well, and just the way that they integrated music, one of the things that really stands out in my mind is the barbershop quartet that rises from this like little floating ship, and they're singing Beach Boys, God Only Knows Where I'd Be Without You. And I grew up with the Beach Boys, my dad's a huge Beach Boys fan, and it just sounds so good. And there's other parts where you hear famous music throughout history and stuff. That's yeah. It's just like really, but it's not the backing track. So it's very interesting and does a little bit more of the world building. Although there is the part where you're in the asylum. Do you remember that part? Yeah. Where they had the big dudes with the fucking lights and shit on their head, and they see you and they're like, Bruh! fucking hated that. You should not have a stealth mission in a first-person shooter. That's all I have to say on that fact. But the rest of the game is 
incredibly fucking solid. And you can get all three of them for fucking 20 bucks or less. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'd say that playing the first game is worth it because it was a game that had really solid audio logs and a really great world that it built and it sucks you in, it keeps you interested. But my issue with the first Bioshock is not only is the combat for my taste not particularly rewarding or fun, but it's also extremely broken because there are specific combinations of plasmids that make the game trivial and upgrades are handed out with regular frequency. So you upgrade your shotgun into firing like explosive quad barrel nightmare shit and you get your freeze and stun electroshock puddle plasmids. I mean, you just become unstoppable the last third of the game, which I guess in some ways can be fun, but it's like I like my, my combat to just continue to push like you know, it gets harder to match my improved abilities. And I do not feel that Bioshock ever did that. Like, you just get to a place where you just punish any big daddy for just, like, thinking about you. And I don't know. I just didn't like it. And I almost didn't ever beat it because the last boss was super annoying and, like, not in a way that meshed with any other part of the game. Yeah, the ending boss of that game made no sense. Yeah. But, but it, it's totally worth it. I mean, it's it's one of them that, like, I'm in the minority. A lot of people like that game a lot more than I do. And, uh, you know, it's worth playing for once for sure. And you can for cheap. So. Yeah, I 100% agree. I definitely think the overall difficulty arc is done better in Infinite than it is in Bioshock. Because Bioshock starts out and it's kind of hard. And then, like, it... You get to a point where, like, everything Plateaus. gets a lot easy. Yeah. Whereas in Infinite, it, the first parts are, like, they ease it, you into it a little bit more and then hit you with the hardness. Yeah. But, I don't know. My, I think one of the things that one suffers from, besides having a silent protagonist, which, if you've played the game and beat it, it makes sense at the end as to why. But, you have all this world around you, and I... I understand you're supposed to project yourself on the silent protagonist. I'm not good at that. I like to read books. I don't read a whole lot of uh, books that I write. So I want there to be development. I want there to be character movement. And Elizabeth and Booker work that really well while building on the world itself. Now, don't get me wrong. The one in the... the, the story told in the first game is very poignant and it's essentially about Jews pretty much it's a, it's, a, it's it's about Jews you know trying to leave and create their own place essentially because there's a bunch of the characters are Jewish and it takes place after World War II I'm pretty sure yeah I don't think so but I'm pretty sure because one of them talks about working there's a doctor that talks about working in the camps and everything Maybe I'm wrong. It's been a while and I was drinking heavily, so. But you get three games for $20 or less. The first one's one of those games where I definitely think everyone should play it, but, man, Infinite was a fucking triumph, man. It was just done so well. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll just say that as far as silent protagonists go, I have the exact opposite feeling most of the time. I don't particularly care for characters who are given characterization unless it's done really well. It's just annoying to me. This is a game that is an exception to that rule for myself. But I think that one of the things that makes it so good and makes the first Bioshock still really good is that 
visually the storytelling i mean as well as the whole audio log system and all that kind of stuff but like bioshock the original has a wonderful visual storytelling just by the way you see things the way things unfold and so the way well. that you're often like just seeing shit go down and there's a certain level of randomness and whatever the kind of stuff that started with half-life and continues on to this day uh but bioshock infinite i mean it's, it's part of its technology and all the rest of that but like the aesthetics of the game match with the environments that you're in are just their spectacle in and of themselves but then they use them to tell a story that is exciting and vivid and interesting and like you get towards the later levels of the game and it's just like this whole like oh fuck like yeah. it's it's like swashbuckling in the skies with like killing racist cultists with like superpowers it just rules. I mean, it's, it's a good one. And uh, then you're also going against the resistance because they're crazy too, and yeah. it's just... Yeah, it's a good <laughs> one. I'd agree with that, Best Buy. And, yeah, that's all I got on that. Best Buy. All right, partner. Good one, good one. All right, you want to open this here disco box? <gasps> I, I, I oiled the hinges just a little. I know, I know. It's a little quieter. I appreciate that. Yeah. You're welcome. All right, well, so I want to start uh, with with the big one today. This album just came out a couple weeks ago. It's uh, Hate Rocks, Venus, and Leo. And Hate Rock, for those who don't know, it's H-T-R-K. And they're a band out of Australia. I'm not going to get into the whole history, documented suicide, blah, 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 whatever. You, you look up any review, it's one of the cl classic situations where, like, band's history is kind of interesting, so they mention it in every fucking review for every record they were fucking released. And it's just like, I already know. I just want to hear about how that album sounds. But anyway, Venus and Leo, Ghostly International, out on CD and LP. And their album, Sakatine Club, was is one of my most listened to albums that's not like experimental music. It's, it's kind of down tempo. It's kind of like... Uh, synth pop, I've heard it described as atmospheric pop or dream pop or uh, what was the other one? Ambient pop. I like that a lot. It's kind of nice. That's a fun name. Yeah. And and so just their sound evolution has gone from this very gritty electronics that are like sort of trap beats without any of the sort of EDM influences all sucked out and it's just everything is like drizzled in cough syrup and then huge spicy uh somewhere between shoegaze and like i don't even know these like lustrous guitar stuff and then all that got super toned down for their last album and they really focused on just these like haunting but very clean but still warm electronics which if you listen to a lot of like electronic music and for me i listen to a lot of techno those those two things are not normally together but they have it largely because of jonine standish's voice this incredible warmth to them and there's a song on the that album called uh, Wet Dream and the lyrics are just like I'm in love with myself but the way she sings it and repeats it and it gets all like chopped up and over the beat it's, it's just it's it's literally like top 10 from the last decade and so Venus and Leo had a lot to to live up to and and that album was so surprisingly good like their album before that was real good but that, that one was like a left turn but at the same time like a revelation and Venus and Leo definitely suffers in the sense of it doesn't take a radical departure, so it doesn't shock you in the same way.
but they do bring back in the sound of work 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 which was their album their third album and uh when they still have more guitar stuff what i like about it is it it does not fall into the same patterns or styles primarily as the last album the songs are still unique each to themselves they they have like a variety of both sounds and moods i mean it's all generally kind of like chill and slightly depressing and like slightly emotional and morbid but at the same time like i just did like so much opium and i'm like mad chill and i'm sitting next to this girl who's like way pretty and even if we don't have sex i'm just like having a good time just being near she smells nice yeah uh, maybe that's opium i don't know and I like that. I like that vibe. And there's there's a couple... I mean, the first thing I gotta say is there's a song called Dream Symbol. And it's just like... Well, let me play it for you real quick. In the house, I can unavoid it. You got me talking to Friday what? Open up the door, I can see a thing. Open up the door, let me see shit. Silhouette, a clear part So I heard that one and it's like main vocals and then repeated vocal phrases panning in the background on top of this slippery beat. It's essentially the wet dream of this album and I really, really like it. And as soon as that one hits about halfway through, it's like the first song on the B side. Like, All right, this album's this is probably going to be my album of the year. There's a Missy Elliott cover right afterwards that fits in quite nicely. What? Yeah, hit him with the he and it's like real sexy but the the thing that makes this album cool is the last one was super abstracted on a lyrical level and the vocals and the lyrics were sparse and the vocals were sparse and this album has like way more lyrics and way more like a personal kind of narratives like songs all have a story a dream symbol being more abstracted than the rest which is probably why i like it so much but the last two tracks are called New Year's Day and the New Year's Eve, which they switch on you. It's like, fuck you up. And <laughs> pull the old switcheroo on you. Yeah, like, New Year's Day is talking about, like, like I don't know when, but I'm going to do something wrong. Like, I know it's a new year and I'm trying to do right. But this guy's getting out of jail and he calls his, like, wild friend and, like, they're going to get up to no good. And he's, like, trying not to get back in trouble. But the way she sings it, the way the song sounds, like, it really... It's just, it hits you, you know? I mean, for me at least. And and the New Year's Eve is like her talking about being young, getting fucked up, like trying to like, you know, make out with a boy and all that kind of shit that's like relatable. And in the one sense, it sort of like steals a little bit of the like opiumed out, not club, like back room, red light vibe from the last album. But it makes it, but it does give some development that I like too. They just serve slightly different functions, although on a basic sound palette, they're both good for when you got people over and you need some like good, interesting shit, but like not also overpowering. Music. 
Yeah. Yeah, like that. And um, I want to mention uh, You Know How to Make Me Happy, which was like the third single for the album leading into it. Real Nice and the other one, Dying of Jealousy, which was the second single. They did two 12 inches that came out before this, which are one sold out. The first one called Mentions, or I think the thing's called Drama. But anyway, and then Dying of Jealousy is not sold out but they both have b-sides that are only on them 12 inches that are real good too and like fit the whole overall thing but it's it's exceptional and i'm sure it's one of those they're they're an interesting band i don't think they're really like top tier as far as international interest or indie press go but for the people that are into it like me i think they're they're worshipped like they're they're one of them cult bands that if you know it and you're into it like you're fucking into it because it's it's basically they do a thing and if you're into that kind of thing like it's gonna get your hooks in your heart you ain't ever gonna get let go yeah it's definitely one of my favorite things that you've shown me out of like new music you've gained yeah in a while yeah well and i think i mean i got into hate rock like six months before i got sober i bought i bought work 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 for an ex-girlfriend and I was going to give it to her on Christmas, and then she broke up with me right before Christmas, and so I kept it, and was like, this is nice. And then... Fuck that bitch, I got this. Yeah, and then Daffy, actually, I got her into it, and then she got me a copy of the vinyl. I think she got, like, two copies by accident or something like that. And, um, anyways, I've been in love ever since. Uh, sort of on the same note, so that's been, like, my, like, just... I mean, the first couple of days I had that, I'm, I hammered it. I listened to it, like, 20 times maybe a little exaggeration, but a lot is going to be my favorite album of the year. I, I don't think anything's going to beat it. I know Linecraft just put out a new album, but like I love industrial music, but you give me some kind of like fucking dystopian future ambient opium pop. Like you got me on lockdown. Um, so just to go into the sort of little, little quick thing for this. So I've been driving my car late at night real fast. Like, on the highways and the back roads trying to like push my engine push my driving abilities quote unquote night drives my night drives yeah now certain members of my household have said that they think i might be quote smoking meth under overpasses or you know sucking dick yeah banging trannies whatever and that's the old me all right Uh, the new me i just drive (laughs) and uh well anyway i made a playlist called gigazone 999 (laughs) <laughs> which is a reference to Tokyo Extreme Racer Zero, which is one of the best racing games if you're into that kind of thing. And it's basically like hardcore techno, doom core, speed core, uh, techno, drum bass, a little bit of house music. Techno. Yeah, techno. And it's, you know, it's like, it's that not drive music, you know? And then some of it, some of it's like, you gotta be driving. And other stuff's like kind of chill, I'm at a lot, you know? Sometimes I gotta switch between the tracks and stuff. But I throw it on shuffle, see where it takes me. And in that vein, one of the things that's on there is both songs from Pessimist's 12 inch called uh, The Woods slash, uh, what is it, Leadfoot. And this is, this. I'll bring this up for two reasons. First of all, this 12 inch fucking rules. Let me play you a sample of the first track.
when you hear that, what springs to your mind? Two words: not drive. Obviously. Oh, I I was I was gonna say Percocet. Smite crab. Yeah. So anyway, um, Smite crab. Yeah. So this is like music for driving through tunnels at night. You know what I mean? And it's I like it for a lot of reasons, but it's got this like forward momentum, and it has a sort of autocar style development of the song never crescendos or anything like that it's just it's got it's more of a techno style rather than drum bass style even though it's technically drum bass or whatever where it's just about elements coming in and out but there's no like overarching synth or melody line or leads or anything like right, that it's right. just this like it's like sitting in a train watching shit fly by and the uh, lead foot's like that but it's more it's two-step and it's a little bit more got like a little bit of a raw guy energy and that kind of thing in it and the other big deal is this was the uh 12 inch for pessimist that really changed him from being an online digital producer who's making some kind of like low slung drum bass a little bit but like had not found his own sound to like starting to come into something and then immediately after this he drops his balaclava uh 12 inch and then like skyrocketed into this sort of weird crossover of like dark indie drum and bass techno and what have you electronics and has now become the guy he is today doing what he does so it's a good and it was one of the first i heard by him not when it came out but about a year or two later i guess it was the following year and i listened to this a shitload when i was in japan last time i'd walk around and not smoking my cigarettes when weston was asleep and i'm like oh yeah and uh i listened to it still a lot driving today so that's my second minute recommendation. I, I pretty much recommended every other Pessimist album or record before this, or I mean after this rather. So I'm kind of digging to the bottom of the barrel with him a little bit. <laughs> and Ben and I were talking. I'm like, I just want to recommend that album again. He did. And it's like, next time, I don't know. But people know, they should know. Go back and listen to the old episodes. So that's two. Third one's another quick one. Same thing. Not drives, not music. All right. Uh, there's this producer called Sia. And he was, along with Shifted and a couple other guys, this sort of new wave of, like, Aussie slash industrial British techno. Everybody pretty much has since moved to Berlin. And I love Shifted and seeing him live really cranked up that love. But Sia is the one I listen to more because he has generally a more traditional techno sound. Although he has morphed into these areas of, like, electro influence or like really just like interesting sound design like his last album metabolism basically sounds like the unofficial techno soundtrack to blade runner 2049 mm. the palette is extremely similar to that album but instead of strings and big old 10 minute pieces it's just chunks of techno with like ha-fi designer qualities to it it's like it's like mono lake without the level of minutia and like clickety clack and don't talk back yeah so he put out this this 12 inch on token of two songs that were sort of orphans one was a remix of a song from his first album living with ghosts new one's called new puritan the original's called puritan and then the the a side of it's called cross figures and it's like this giant shimmering sparkling black hole techno thing and then then both been excellent for driving i'm gonna, I'm gonna play a little bit of that Christ figures. Praise Jesus.
And yeah, I mean, if you like techno, that is just techno. And there's none of this like modular, granular, whatever shit. It's just really, really good, really clean, really icy techno. It's 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 almost like polar inertia, but not quite that cold. And I think as far as stuff picking up things from Sia, you need this, you need the and the two albums, and I mean two albums is not any small measure, but or you could just get this thing. This is like the perfect encapsulation of everything he does in two songs, and I love it. I like it too. All right, it's good. Yeah. So you've heard you've heard this a few times. I remember driving in the mm -hmm. Lancer when I first got this. I was like, you gotta hear this. And then it was like six minutes in, and you were like, "When's this song over?" I was like, "No, four minutes." I would never ask you that. No, no, but it was more of like we were talking. I put it on. You're like, "Oh, I'm not gonna talk until it's over," and you're like, "How long is this thing?" So, but um, the last one I want to do. This is it, and I'm gonna wrap it up. Uh, I want to recommend Masonas. Now this is. Oh my god, I thought that said mesothelioma. I was like, good band name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Masona, Man, Mademoiselle Anne Sanglante, O Notre Nymphomania Ariel, which roughly translates to Mademoiselle Anne Bloody or Our Nymphomania. I think, you know, probably words would be switched around. So it would be Madame Anne. Bloody or no bloody Madam Man, I uh, think is what it would be, or nymphomania or our nymphomania, which is just so if Maisana's name is an anagram, this is what it is, and he credits himself this uh, way on some releases, including Frequency LSD, his 1998 album from Alienate, which I almost did instead of this one, but I don't know, I just want to do this one. Um, this sure. is from. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. This is from Alchemy uh, Records from Japan, 1993. This is earlier. It's, uh, you know, later than the tapes he did on uh, his Coquette label, but it was like when he was doing his, uh, basically like, he did a run for about six years releasing just like a shitload of full-on albums, you know, a couple, a couple a year uh, for a minute there. And for my taste, really enjoying Masana, I find it hard to find any kind of glaring fault in any one of them. The biggest problem you have is after you get blasted for 45 minutes by Masona, and then you do it again, it starts to wear off that kind of like oof to it. But mm -hmm. if you give it time between them, it's like, oh, each one of these has their own kind of magic nightmare to it. So I picked this album for a couple reasons. One is I've got it recently and listened to the shit out of it. The second one is it's hilarious because there's 30 bonus tracks and one track. <laughs> so track 31 is the name of the album and it's four seconds long and then it's all the 30 bonus tracks that lead up to it that are all untitled that are the album it's just like that's hilarious yeah it's like a, I, I feel like a very Japanese and a very 90s kind of like goofy sort of shit to do like you know as far as aesthetics and whatever on the front it's got says like 30 bonus tracks don't even worry about it so many bonus tracks <laughs> Fuck Who that. cares if there's only one song? We've got 30 bonus songs. Yeah, and the other reason I picked it was for this one particular track, which I'm going to play for you now, because it's just, just fucking nuts. Does it only cost the amount of one song? Uh, no, the CD was quite expensive. Then I guess they're not really bonus tracks. No, of course not. I mean, like, what is a bonus? But, I mean, normally, like, to me, a bonus track is only a bonus track if 
you're buying a reissue of an album and it has additional tracks from what was on the original issue. And this is the only issue of the album is with these bonus tracks, <laughs> which is to me the whole point. Like it's a goofy thing to say. It's yeah. just it's just the album. But like it, it does change mentally and I talked about this last time. Your mindset for like if I'm looking staring down the barrel at two thirty minute tracks or I'm looking at thirty one minute tracks, I'm gonna say thirty one minute tracks, that's easier I can do that. Even though it basically flows as one giant thirty minute track. But let me play this for you real quick. It's like, the thing that I love about Masona, and what's so interesting to me is, I just picked up a bunch of stuff, I had the box set for a while of like all his early tapes, or a bunch of them at least, and I had some other stuff, but I picked up like his first album that was never released, and then just gave it a release like 30 years after it was supposed to come out, whatever, and some other newer, like old, old shit, and it's interesting to see how quickly he developed his style from like these big chunks of... You know, lots of stuff happening, but, like, not that much stuff. And then you get to this album, and it's just hyper-edited. And that actually, that track's relatively, sounds like more or less one cut with some panning and some other stuff in it. But I love his, like, like, that's literally, the vocals don't, it's just, like, him making crazy sounds. And he, but, like, because he's Japanese, because of the sound of his voice and all the fucking blasting behind it, it's just like, oh, my God. Like, oh, jeez. So good, and yeah, I, I just like, I love what he puts down in that kind of way, and, and I talked about it last time, like his his inner cutting of a bunch of different stuff is, uh, what I heard was use of mini-disc players to do like rapid edits with no, instead of having to do tape stuff and having spaces and all the rest, you just like pop in little parts and do all this micro-editing, and He's got harmonica, and this one, the the whole reason I bought this album was because on the Noskal Al Anna CD I reviewed last time, there is this, this album's title track, Take Two, which is just a different, it's one of the bonus tracks from this album, but it's like him playing acoustic guitar for a little bit. It's all like sad sounding, and then blasting the noise, and then blast back right, to guitar, right. and then blasting the noise. And on the strength of that one minute and 30 second track, I track this album down and that basically same thing is on here but he, there's other parts like that and it's like all this chaos and it's just it's so fast and so brutal and so unrelenting until it's not and then it just chills for like 30 seconds a minute and a half something like that and you get like there's parts where you just breathe in and him like and just playing weird and shit and then it just goes back to it and it's oh man it's that that kind of dynamics I don't know. I've always been a Masona fan, but rarely, like, didn't own much. Just had tons of MP3s from fucking high school and college and shit. And I was like, oh, I'll just upgrade one day. 
Well, that day has come, <laughs> and I have been buying up Masona stuff like nobody's business. And I, I find it really rewarding because it's like the energy of a star exploding with, I don't know, like the psychedelic sensibilities that, that the, only the Japanese can have as far as like revamping this American history of psychedelic film or music rather. And then, but it's also harsh noise. Are you fucking kidding me? And I, I'll probably wind up doing Frequency LSD next time because that's like his album, one of the few where he really... Just as like, yeah, I'm really into psychedelic shit. And uh, the whole last chunk of the album is just a bunch of like weird synthy psych stuff. So Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. So I think that's it. And uh, this this whole thing, I'm going to be putting in clips of, my, uh, of the tracks we're talking about and such in future episodes. And, and if you guys like that, cool. Don't say nothing. I'll assume you love it. If you don't like it, send me something. Let me know. Rate and review. Suck my dick. And uh, if you're an artist and I play your music on my show, it's going to be probably nothing longer than a minute. But if you got issues, just shoot me an email. Take it down. Don't worry about it. So nice. hopefully, hopefully this just works like free publicity because, I mean, that's basically what this is. I don't review shit I don't like. So. That's true. Let's close true. this fucking disco box. Let's close it. There you go. It was a hungry one tonight. Yeah. So, I think that's about it for us. Uh, we always enjoy doing this. Bobby Goldwater probably won't be here next week, but you never know when he's going to show up. And, I'm actually uh, impressed. I think you probably got stuck in it at one point. You're probably like, yeah, I'm going to drop it, but now I'm fucking stuck in uh, it. Nah. I mean, when Bobby's here, Bobby's here, baby. Uh-huh. I don't even know, Frank. But, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Rate, review. Check us out on the gram. Check us out on Facebook. Uh we got more good shit coming. We're never going to run out of records to review or games to play. So, you know, stay tuned and send us dick pics. Later, nerds. Later, partners.